0: Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Couch Brotato podcast. This is the third installment of our spooky season month where we're talking about some of the best horror movies to ever come on to the silver screen and we have got an absolute masterpiece for you guys and gals today. Producer Adam... And our good friend Cole from the Knights of Degradation podcast joined me to talk about the 1982 John Carpenter sci-fi horror masterpiece, The Thing. It's a really good one. We hope you guys and gals enjoy it. So after this brief trailer, we bring to you The Thing.
1: 100,000 years ago, it came to our galaxy. Trapped in the wasteland of Antarctica... It could not escape. Now, it is free to become one of us. John Carpenter's The Thing, rated R.
0: All right, I am joined on the show today by producer Adam. Adam, how's it going, man?
2: Not too bad. Can't complain.
0: Good, good, good. And we've got a special guest joining us today. Our friend. It's been a while since you've been on the program. Cole from the Nights of Degradation podcast. Cole, how's it going, man? It's been a long time.
1: Yeah. The, thank you for having me. I'm doing okay. I could complain, but I will choose not to. Well,
0: what you did enough of that before <laughs> the show.
1: Oh yeah, it's all it's all I do nowadays. In
0: in so. the green room, as we call it here in the <laughs> industry, did enough of that. Um. Well, before we get into today's show, kind of a little a topic, um, I texted Adam yesterday, noticed that uh, Amazon Plus has a Godzilla movie, but then I guess I yeah. found out uh, through Adam, it's not a movie, it's a TV show. Yep. God, It's it called Monarch TV Show. Yeah. Okay, what's it called, Adam? I don't want to, like, you'll, I'll fuck it up, um, I know you won't.
2: Uh, Monarch Legacy of the Monsters. It is a new series uh, premiering on November the 17th, and it fits in to um, the Monsterverse, as okay. they call it.
0: Yeah, and I thought it was a, a good segue. It um, has my all-time favorite actor in it, and actually, Coles, too, if I'm not mistaken. And that's how I think you and I hit it off as uh, becoming friends was the fact we shared a mutual admiration for Kurt Russell.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's when you might have realized I might be worth talking to. (laughs) Well, the other way
0: around. I don't know. Like I kind of had when we worked for the that witch at the Big Blue, uh, it might have been the other way around. I had that reputation for being like kind of standoffish when I didn't understand why.
1: No one said you were standoffish. Everyone said you were an asshole, but I didn't believe them.
0: Oh, well, it's a good thing you did because I'm not.
1: Okay. Sorry, that was a joke, and you guys didn't laugh, so I'm sorry.
0: That's okay. You know what, though? Like, we crack jokes in here all the time, and I think Adam and I are the only two people that ever listen to the show that laugh about them, so.
2: <laughs> I, I I got it, Cole. I didn't laugh audibly uh, on for the podcast viewers, but, you
1: know. Yeah. Well, you smiled, but I didn't want to call you out. I didn't want to be like that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, Kurt Russell, he's been a favorite of mine man, since uh, – Actually, I think the first thing I remember watching him in was Overboard, which I love, and I, you know, and then Tombstone, and then from there, just anything he was in, I would watch. My mom worked at a video rental store, so anytime I saw a movie with him come out, I just took it home, and that was it. That.
0: That's right. Your mom did work at a video store. That's I actually uh, the movie that we're talking about is how I discovered it was when I worked at a video store because I had never heard of The Thing, which is the movie we're doing today, the uh, 1982 horror classic by John Carpenter. But uh, when I, I worked at a video store from the time I was like 19 until I was 22, I used to go down these rabbit holes where I would get like really interested in an actor or a director, and I would just rent anything I could get my hands on. And I went down a John Carpenter rabbit hole before the days of the internet, our video store used to have, um, it might show my age, uh, Leonard Maltin, who used to be on Entertainment Tonight, <laughs> used to have this movie encyclopedia where you, basically any movie that was ever made, you could reference it. And you could look it up by director, actor, actress, whatever. So I'd always, anytime I'd get obsessed with a certain actor, director, I'd go to the Leonard Malton video encyclopedia guide. And look up and see if I can find all this stuff. So that's how I was introduced to the thing, and I uh, was absolutely blown away with it. Um, you gentlemen, what was your uh, first introduction to this movie? Adam, I'll start with you.
2: Um, mine's kind of lame. It's not. It's not cool like working in a video store or anything. Or I saw reading the TV Leonard um, Baltin. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, we uh, we had um, uh, Video Hound um, as a movie encyclopedia um, and I mean I guess that doesn't really show my age but uh yeah I, I would always look at it but I didn't see uh, I didn't see uh, the thing from it I uh, ended up seeing it on TV it's kind of a lame story I was like huh this is really interesting it was a, a TV cut of it so they cut all the super gory parts out but they still left some of them in and it was uh it was really enthralling I ended up um uh, purchasing it after, um, I realized it was a John Carpenter movie. Um, of course I was a kid when, um, I watched it first, but, um, John Carpenter is one of my favorites. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to own this movie. Cause, uh, honestly it's it, for being a, a monster movie. It's one of my favorites. I'm a, I'm a really big uh, monster movie buff. I like my monsters.
0: So. Cole, what about you? When was, uh, your introduction to the thing?
1: Well, I uh, kind of the same thing. I discovered it through John Carpenter first because we owned the movie vampires, uh, John Carpenter's vampires, which is, you know, a phenomenal movie that I absolutely loved when I was a kid. And um, it, I think it was my brother was like, Hey, if you, you know, if you like that, you should check out this other movie. It's the same director or same maker or something. And that's when I first watched the thing and it just blew my mind. Wasn't like anything I'd ever seen before, and I remember thinking I was like, "Wow, this is way better than vampires." Yeah.
0: Well, hey, you know <laughs> what? Uh, bonus points, uh, friend of the show, former co-host Lucas. Uh, that's uh, one of our favorite bad, good, bad movies. is John Carpenter's Vampires. We revisit that thing all the time.
1: Yeah, I think we've even talked about it before because it—it's still the only thing that has purring vampires in it, which I, you know, I always bring up, and it has a Baldwin and James Woods. And I think you always say James Woods just chewing on scenery the whole movie.
0: He is. And see, <laughs> since we're a movie podcast, we're able to call him Jimmy Woods.
1: Oh, Jimmy Woods. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Sweet.
0: It's like we call wow. Bob, Robert De Niro's me.
1: Bob De Niro on the show. It's actually kind of funny to connect to what I do now. My first D&D character's name, or my second D&D character's name was Valak, and he was based off the villain in that movie.
0: Okay. The incomparable okay, Thomas week. Ian Griffin. Mm-hmm. Terry Silver for uh you Cobra Kai fans out there. Um but yeah, like I don't know, like I just I haven't watched this movie in a while, but like I revisited it on Thursday for the show and like man, this thing still fucking holds up. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um Yeah, especially
2: for a practical effect movie for sure.
0: Mm, uh yeah, I was kind of uh I was kind of like watching some of the effects like when they would morph into the these creatures like that's fucking disgusting, but it's also like, that's incredibly cool. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it just looks so real. Mm. And like nowadays you watch movies and you can kind of tell, I think people are just so used to CGI that they can kind of tell when it is. Mm. And yeah, the thing, it just looks like real stuff happening. It's disgusting, but in a very beautiful way.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I'm always a sucker for things captured in camera.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, (laughs) Um, Well, we'll get into this. Uh, For those of you that have not seen this movie, first off, we're going to spoil the shit out of this. Uh, You've had ample time to see this. This movie came out in 1982. This movie is over 40 years old. No excuses at this point. It's been through the VHS, the Betamax, LaserDisc, DVD, Blu-ray, 4K Blu-ray, streaming. There's many ways you could have seen this by now. Um, But uh, the... What the fuck is this movie about? Uh, this movie is about an American research team in Antarctica that is hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. That is the synopsis according to our friends at IMDb. Simple, simple premise. Nothing uh, nothing too, uh, I don't know what's the world we looking for. It's not uh, too ambiguous, but it's kind of cool. Like I think it's what makes the movie work is it really doesn't, like have a bunch of different plot points going on. It's basically a very straightforward standalone movie. It's this team is trying to figure out what this creature is and then it creates this era of aura of paranoia and distrust amongst mm-hmm. the team and that's that's it. I think it's what makes yeah. the movie so awesome. You don't have these yeah, side stories think- like two of the members have something cooked up or whatever. Nothing like that.
2: Right. I think that it's uh it- and I know people argue uh, me on this. Um, that's one of the reasons um, why I like it so much because uh, another, you know, famous Carpenter movie, Halloween, also has a very simple plot line. But I think that this one um, is more character-driven and uh, it makes it complex within its characters, not necessarily the plot. And that's that's why I like it. It's, it's very meaty that way.
1: Mm. Yeah, and yeah, I, I good call. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead, buddy. No, I was just going to say I I agree. I think it's his I think it's his best script by far. And I know that the the production took a long time, so he had a lot more time with the script than normal uh, than his other movies. And I think that's another reason this is so good. I I wrote in my notes like every single second of this movie matters. There's not any B-roll. There's no waste. There's no nothing. Everything matters. Everything's like a hint to something else. And that I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's that and some other things we'll talk about later is what contributes to its longevity in my opinion, why it's mm. still the best horror movie.
0: Yeah, the yeah. thing I really like about it too is like the monster in this is not really the villain per se, but it's the paranoia that it creates and like basically the villain is the entire team. It's like they can't trust one another. Yeah. Because of this <laughs> alien. That's what I think is really cool about this too. And this plot has been stolen many times since then. Which we'll get into that mm-hmm, much later. Sure. So, yeah, that's I I kind of dig that
1: aspect of it as well. Well, it's cool because it it's it's like that, but it flips. Like you mentioned, his uh, uh, Halloween, it uh-huh. flips it totally. And I didn't come up with this. I um, saw someone else say this at some point. But
0: in oh, other you take it right that's
1: cool. Okay, well my my <laughs> original opinion um, that you didn't edit that other part out yet uh, <laughs> is that. It, it just flips the script on horror movies because in any other horror movie, there's safety in numbers. And when the people are together, that's when you have the calm. Like when yeah. you watching it can calm down and relax, but you just don't get to do that in this movie. Cause you never know if, if people are who they say they are um, because of the way mm-hmm. the, the monster works. So there's zero, there's like zero time to breathe mm-hmm. in the movie. Right. And it's just nonstop, just tension and anxiety. Mm-hmm.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> i know
0: it just yeah that's like what i i love about it's just the fact that this is supposed to be like is this kind of like a very smart thriller wrapped up as a b movie you know what i mean
1: uh yeah well yeah i know i know somebody who um when he shows people this movie he doesn't show them the very beginning like Cause I think in the very beginning that you see like a spaceship crash or something like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah. the, the, yeah. the movie beginning of the movies like that. Who, yeah. He starts the movie after that. So when he shows it to people, they don't see that. So they don't even have the idea of an alien in their head
0: mm-hmm.
1: or they didn't. Again, this was like high school time when, when we were showing people this movie, but I think that's even crazier. Cause at least when you see that, you kind of go in knowing that something crazy is going to happen. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: that's kind of a cool way to like introduce somebody to that too, because you're like, you're wondering like, why the fuck is there a guy in a helicopter shooting at a dog? Yeah. I mean, you still kind of wonder that too, even with the introduction yeah. of the spaceship. But still, the, like <laughs> watching it like that from that lens, it's like, what the fuck's going on here? Like, is this this yeah. is does Antarctica make people crazy?
1: <laughs> well, except Norwegians, because I think doesn't he. The Norwegian actually, like, spoils the whole movie, doesn't he? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but he does it in Norwegian, so it's fine.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he's right. All right, well, let's get into the categories, gentlemen. Uh, The Tale of the Tape, this movie was released on June the 25th, 1982. This stars Kurt Russell, Wilford Brimley, Keith David, T.K. Carter, Richard Dyser, Charles Hallahan, and Richard Maser. Directed by John Carpenter, as we said, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 85% from critics and a 92% score from audiences. This movie made 19.2 million dollars on a 15 million dollar budget. It didn't win any Academy Awards, unfortunately, and you could stream this currently on Peacock. The cock has the thing. You can watch it at your leisure, so there's no excuse why you can't watch this. I'm a
2: child, I'm sorry.
1: No,
0: it's fine, we call it the cock all the time over here. I may have stolen it, I've, I've heard other people call it that since then, so I don't know if I inadvertently yes, ripped it off. But I'm taking fucking credit for it.
1: Hey, I've never, you're the first person I heard that from, and now I say it all the time too. Well, good, I'm glad it's it's carrying on. I I've, can, I've canceled our subscription twice just because I like screaming, we're no longer paying for the cock.
0: <laughs> I get the cock for free. Yeah. <laughs> My oh. son actually, uh, it was a few weeks ago. I, I let him stay up to watch the Sunday night football mm-hmm. game, and uh, he was on his phone. He goes, Hey, dad, they're streaming it in 4K on the cock. And I'm like, Fuck. I'm like, okay, cool. Oh. So, like, we'll flip it over there. And I'm like, Man, like, I hope he doesn't tell people that at school, like, hey, the football games on uh, the cock are in 4K. <laughs>
2: we get the uh we get the cock for free from my sister-in-law so
0: i pay five dollars for the cock but it's also got wrestling on it (laughs) well worth it and you get to watch cool movies like the thing so um uh did you know uh this category is facts and little tidbits about the uh movie behind the scenes stuff um This is the third of five collaborations between Kurt Russell and John Carpenter. uh, The first being an Elvis uh, made-for-TV movie. And then they did uh, Escape from New York, which you can listen to in our vault. uh, One of the earlier episodes we did. uh, Cheap plug of the show. Also, they did The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, and Escape from L.A. I'd say three out of five pretty good. I've heard that Elvis movie is pretty good, but Escape from L.A. is not not good at all.
1: I I like really mm. just because, I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of grandfathered in. I just say they're all good.
0: I don't know. Like, for me, like, I always have said that Carpenter, I think, has one of the best runs for a director in the history of movies. But it seems like his quality kind of falls off after They Live. I think it's like when you get to the top, like, they live and it's like kind of a, a steady decline after that. There's nothing really like we like John Carpenter's Vampires but like let's be real it's not in the same class as anything prior to that.
2: No. Yeah, I think yeah, you're not even close. So I think that um John Carpenter is one of those directors that's just like he's not he's not Scorsese, he's not Spielberg, he's not like that big blockbuster director where where like you know Uh, he does a movie you expect it to do you know a billion dollars but he, it's still one of those directors it's just like it's a John Carpenter movie and everybody's like oh even like people that aren't cinephiles that don't watch movies all the time they're just like oh yeah I know who John Carpenter is Mm. you know so that in itself is just a success even if his movie doesn't do well Right.
0: it kind of makes like I don't think uh, guys like him would be around today though just because the way the film industry is
1: Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, they wouldn't like like they wouldn't let him make the thing like this.
0: Oh no no, mm-hmm. no,
1: no, no, no! Saying like, well, we need a couple of these characters to have their shirts off the whole time, and we need a couple of these characters to like go bang each other in a closet or something. <laughs> like you know, like you said earlier, like there's no extra, there's no extra anything in this movie. It's all straight to the point, and they mm-hmm. just won't make movies like that today. Yeah. Yeah. There's
2: no risk or there's no reward for the risk. So
0: Um, this movie is the remake of the uh, thing from another world, which was, I believe it was produced by Howard Hawks, who is John Carpenter's idol, uh, which is Mm -hmm. adapted from the novella who goes there, which I kind of already knew that, but that was kind of a cool little uh, tidbit. But uh, this next one here blew my mind. Uh, This is the first movie where Carpenter doesn't do the score.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, They originally wanted Jerry Goldsmith to do it, but I guess he turned it down. So uh, they went out and got this unknown film composer named uh, Ennio Marconi, who is my second favorite composer of all time behind John Williams, to do the score. how's, How's that for a backup pick?
1: Right. I Uh, definitely think it worked out. I, again, that's just something else about this movie. The score is amazing. I think I read once that he based all the music off of heartbeats mm -hmm. and like the sound of like the sounds your body makes like on the mm -hmm. inside. Uh, Sounds stupid to say that out loud, but you can just really pick up on that in, in the movie. I mean, the music makes Mm -hmm. those scenes even more intense Mm -hmm. for sure. Especially the ending. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to like jump to the ending right away, but the score plays a big part. in in, in the ending. Well, apparently, uh, if you were
0: around in 1982, you would have been one of the few people that enjoyed this. Um, There is uh, the Oscar equivalent for bad movies called The Razzies. Uh, This score was nominated for best or worst original score at The Razzies. Didn't win. But um, later on in 2015, uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, Hateful Eight Which is basically the thing set in the Old West. And no, I mean, seriously, it's the plot's almost the exact same, except it doesn't involve an alien. Um, Tarantino used unused uh, portions of the score, and Marconi won an Academy Award for it.
1: Yeah, that's just just bullshit. Like, that makes me mad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, um, this
0: uh, next uh, tidbit kind of ties into. What you just said. Um, this movie opened on the same day as another sci-fi classic. It uh opened up against Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Which um Blade Runner never finished heard of it. Never Heard of it? Yeah, it's a little movie. Scott uh Harrison Ford. Uh, that one guy, he was in that one thing. You know what movie I'm talking about, right? You know, the guy with the yeah, hat absolutely. and the whip and then the spaceships yeah. and the and the the talk like the dogs and the you know that movie, you know what I'm talking
2: but, about. I, I don't think I've ever seen any of those movies
0: yeah, I know like uh, they're not very popular, neither one of them
1: <laughs> well, fun fact Blade Runner also uh based on probably one of the best sci-fi uh, novellas ever written probably a novel I guess it's long enough but
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I, I liked I wish I lived in that time when like sci-fi stories were coming out like that
2: yeah yeah um both a lot of-, of the best sci-fi movies are are from novels like that I'm right yeah
0: um yeah blade runner came out the same day uh the thing finished eight for the weekend and blade runner was number two they both finished behind et which was in it's like fifth or sixth week at this point which et mm-hmm. went on to be like the highest grossing movie of all time until titanic um mm-hmm. but what you were saying about uh this movie though uh Both these movies were box office bombs and also critics hated them. They were not uh, very uh, critically acclaimed either. And I guess it took years and years before people finally realized how great these movies were, which I thought was kind of a cool, I don't know, I guess cool synergy between the two movies.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of that is E.T.'s fault because E.T. was like this beloved store that's like, I don't wanna say it's a happy story, but the ending's pretty happy, if I uh. if I'm remembering you right. And I think that people saw that and then that's what they wanted in their science fiction just at that time. Well I think And then you have these two like gritty and dark movies come out that just are go the opposite direction and I think that's why it didn't do so well.
0: Well, I think it was just a, a change in movie going in general, because the 70s is kind of known for just the dark and gritty and more realistic tone in movies. I mean, fuck, like Taxi Driver, you know, all those movies coming out of the 70s. I think people kind of got tired of bleak films, and E.T. was kind of more of a, you know, an upbeat, Mm -hmm. I mean, science fiction, but still like a kind of an upbeat movie, and it kind of reflected what people were wanting so, I think that's kind of why E.T. was just the phenomenon oh. that it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Plus, it's, right it's, now, it's a fucking damn good movie. But. Yeah. See, I, I didn't like E.T. Uh, but, again, I like I like my sci-fi really dark and sad and gritty, and I want it to make me feel bad when I'm done watching it. E.T.'s good. I, I, I enjoy it, but it's not my favorite. So, like, if E.T. would have
0: killed the Peter Coyote character, it would have been more your alley? Yeah. <laughs> Like, that figure really shoots, like, some kind of fucking laser or something and it'll just wipes somebody out.
1: Oh, yeah. no. It ended, like, out. Like, it just ends when the, the FBI agents show up, and that's the ending. Like, yeah. Don't get me fucking started on my mouth, dude. That that <laughs>
0: fucking ending bums me out. Um, Kurt Russell was not the first choice to play McCready. Uh, screenwriter Bill Lancaster, which I did not know is the son of film legend Burt Lancaster. And uh, Bill Lancaster also wrote The Bad News Bears, the Walter Matthau one, not the the Billy Bob one. So he's got a couple good movies on the old resume. Um, But he wrote this uh, part of McCready with Clint Eastwood or Harrison Ford in mind, which obviously, uh, this being kind of more of like a B movie, I don't think either one of them are going to take it. Especially not mm-hmm. Harrison Ford, but um, Universal's first choice, Nick Nolte, turned it down almost immediately, and I guess they offered it to at points Jeff Bridges, Tom Berenger, Scott Glenn, Chris Christopherson, Christopher Walken, Tom Atkins, and Don Johnson among others. And it wasn't until a week before shooting began that Kurt Russell was hired, based on the recommendation of John
1: Carpenter. Which that's again, that's just crazy to me. I know that's how like the business works and all that, and I think there's like a hundred of those stories for like big roles, but man, I couldn't imagine anyone but Russell playing this part. I mean, it kind of, yeah. I mean, I think he would have been you know as popular without this movie. Like, I don't think he needs it, but it needs him. If that if that makes any sense, I could maybe see Tom yeah. Berenger doing
0: it because Tom Berenger also kind of has that. I don't know that rugged like swagger. yeah rugged swagger yeah that that Kurt Russell kind of has in this. I could see Beringer doing it but he's about the only one of those people that I could Tom Atkins would have been at least interesting
2: could you imagine Christopher Walken with his uh his interesting uh uh you know um voice cadence in his voice <laughs> yeah voice cadence there you go uh just I couldn't see him being McCready at all. <laughs> no, I,
0: I, he was like, when I read that, like, Christopher Walken? <clears throat> no way. I can maybe yeah. see, maybe Bridges, but I don't, Bridges, well, I don't think would work. And uh, Nick Nolte definitely wouldn't. Nick Nolte's so get, too gruff.
1: We get Jeff Bridges in this, and then uh, Kurt Russell's the dude.
0: Yeah, or I, Kurt Russell would have been in Tron. Oh, yeah. Tron's the yeah. same year, too,
1: so... Yeah, Well, something else to add, you mentioned mentioned this being based off Who Goes There uh, by uh, John W. Campbell. I don't have that memorized. I I was looking it up on my phone. Um, I would say that this is definitely one of the few cases where a movie is insanely better than the story it's based on. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really because it's nothing alike. Like, it's not even close to a similar. Mm -hmm. Um, Don A. Stewart was the pen name he used when he wrote it, and it was just kind of this... It definitely it didn't have the tension. It didn't have anything really that makes the movie great. So I, I just wanted to throw that in there since you brought up the short story.
0: Oh no, no, that's that's cool. That's uh, I'm always like I I love it when people contribute other little interesting tidbits about the movie. Uh, do you have anything else? Did you have any other fun facts that uh, I didn't go
1: over? Well, I would say just to compare that to Blade Runner because that's based off of another great sci-fi. Story, and I, I feel the opposite about that one. I think Blade Runner is told other other than the fact that they're like replicants, there's really nothing else in common between those. Um, and let me, sorry, I did I did take some notes, but I didn't have them pulled up on hand, so I'm sorry about that. You, and you call yourself a what? podcaster? <laughs> sorry,
2: sorry. We're, we're we're only professional on this podcast.
1: <laughs> nothing but the, the best. The, the other fun fact I have that's not like store about the actual story or movie or anything is that Kurt Russell almost died on the set. I don't know if you were going to talk about that later or not.
0: Uh, I didn't have a, anything in my notes about it.
1: I go ahead. I'm kind of interested in this now. When he throws yeah. that like big stick of dynamite, um, it was real dynamite, and Kurt Russell just didn't know how big of an explosion it was going to be. And when it knocks him back, that's real. That's really him being knocked back, and he almost died. Oh, shit. oh, my God. Yeah, I I didn't know that until recently, so I was like, holy crap, I thought that was just part of the movie, but no, it actually knocked his ass back, and they had to stop filming for a little bit.
0: I did read something oh, that Jim- uh, he pulled a prank on Carpenter with the flamethrower. He showed up on set one day, like, all bandaged up. His face and his arms were all bandaged up, and he said the flamethrower burned him. Oh, To play a trick <laughs> tr- 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 on John Carpenter.
2: See that's one of the biggest eighties things that I can pull out of this movie is like, uh, it, it's sci-fi. It's got aliens. It's got uh paranoia. It's got tension, but the uh, solution to everything is fire and dynamite. And that is the biggest 80s movie plot device that you can, you can have in a movie. Like this. Or that is
1: yeah, just show. Yeah. <laughs> Did you just burn, burn everything? I mean, that's, I think that's like the, I don't know if I feel like if I was in that situation, that'd be my exact response. Just burn it. Yeah. I know. I guess I didn't write this down, but they do show this movie to like scientists who have to go live like in Antarctica. They show them this movie um, as part of their training. Mm -hmm. And, and like the question they always get asked is like, where do we keep the flamethrowers? And they're like, well, we don't actually have flamethrowers (laughs) up here. (laughs) Also the one thing in this movie that killed what was killing all those guys. We don't have. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah don't have to worry about so that
1: so when
2: are we going to get our flamethrower <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> all
0: right if i would say yeah we don't have to worry about that or do we <laughs> um adam you got uh, any uh interesting tidbits you want to add
2: yeah yeah i got a i got a couple um uh i had down that uh this is one of uh john carpenter's personal favorite uh, uh movies of his uh, um he uh, kind of took the uh, the bombing of his movie uh, pretty hard. He didn't like the critics uh, hating on it so much. Um, uh, but uh, I think that if he were a successful uh, box office uh, director like we were talking before, I think his career would have been way different. We wouldn't have gotten the great movies that we got from him. Yeah, I um, agree with that for sure. Yeah.
0: Well, I did like, see something that after this movie tanked, he had a uh, a multi film deal with Universal that they canceled.
2: Okay. Afterward. Yeah. See, we were, we might have gotten something completely different, and I don't know if I would want that.
1: So. Now, just to add that, I know I know that he said that he was really embarrassed about the special effects and that he was worried people would laugh at him um, because of how. Like, I think he said specifically the head that, like, grows legs and crawls around. He was just like, yeah. people are just going to laugh at that. And then I know the, the guy who did the effects and everything was, like, super sensitive about how they looked. So no one said anything about him, and they kept the lights down on him. So that's another reason mm-hmm. why you don't get to see him so well. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm glad to hear it's one of his favorites for sure. Because it, like, I don't yeah. know, it deserves to be it, I it bet does. It's and now because he's like yeah you know it didn't do well when it came out and now it's like the greatest movie ever yeah it's called classic
2: it's 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 beautiful and in, in all of its uh uh problems uh for lack of a better term I guess um but even so um that actually is a really good segue into my next uh, fact um it actually is a benchmark uh, for a lot of um, practical effect artists. Uh, they, they look at this film and they're like, okay, how can we do that practically? You know, um, I was, uh, looking through a a whole bunch of, uh, different, um, factoids on the internet and, um, uh, a lot of, uh, the critics, um, and the, the special effects like, Hey, if I wanted to go see blood, I would go to a slaughterhouse, you know, but a lot of the things that you see captured, um, like on camera in this movie are just that they're captured on camera. And if you have that in mind when seeing this movie nowadays, especially like with all of the CGI stuff in the movies, it, it's cheaper to do with CGI anyways. Um, It's just, it's phenomenal. Like you see a, a guy, a guy's face splitting in half. Like that's, that's freaking cool. Like in camera, <laughs> like that's real. Not, not necessarily, you know, it's not, guys face splitting in half, but they made it real on camera. No yeah. CG. And that's cool. I, I really, like I said, I'm a, I'm a big uh, sucker for practical effects. And this one is just up there for me. Even, even if it was critically panned for its effects, it
1: it's still up there for me. Um, Can I ask you a quick question? Have you seen the, the two, was it 2011 version?
0: Oh, uh, the one with um, yes. Edgerton and uh, mm-hmm.
1: Winstead. Yeah. Just real quick. What yeah. do you think of the effects on that one? not even not even compared but just do you like them like what they did in that one I I get why they did what they did um like uh one of the scenes where they're like
2: uh the the thing is assimilating the other guy and like squishing his face up against him like I get it I but I get why they they did that but to me it just it doesn't have the same effect as some of the things in the original um and you can see that it is CG. Uh, we were talking a bit uh, earlier about um, how you can just tell it's CG. And I mean, as an audience uh, member, you look at that and you're like, okay, I can tell that's CG. Then I, I know it's not real. Like you go see Fast and the Furious and you see a car swinging on a vine. Like, yeah, you know, that's not real. No,
0: that we're is real. That it's 100% real. I've done it.
1: <laughs> yeah that movie's just and, a documentary of Vin Diesel's life right yeah oh yeah that's that, that's what it is yeah man I was totally I drink, wrong I drink I Corona the-
0: for that that reason after that <laughs> documentary
1: series yeah. well, but, um, curious I, the effects are definitely different but I I think I'm one of the few people who liked the 2011 version but I always wonder like what would have happened if we would have got like I said a more b-movie style and, and a less like Hollywood version yeah. I, I I like the the new one for what it is, but
2: I'm like if you give me a choice between watching the new one and the old one, I'm always gonna pick the old one.
0: You know, like I've never seen the 2011 one. i I, I think it's because I didn't want to be disappointed. So you guys are saying it's it's decent.
1: It's
2: decent. it's not it's not as good as the original, I don't think.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree like between the two, I'm gonna pick the old one all day, but I think they make a pretty good like back to back watch. And I, I I I keep making the Blade Runner reference, but I'd compare it to the Blade Runner sequel that recently came out. Like it's not anywhere close to the same, but it's still it's still more of the thing that I loved, mm, you yeah. know. So I, I I think it's worth a watch. It's not going to blow your mind, but I think the very first time you see the the thing in it, I I was, was like, like holy shit because it was just cool to see it like updated, I guess. Yeah, that's that is pretty cool. So is it a remake yeah. or like a prequel or it's a prequel, I think. Oh, is it? Okay. I yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it not yeah. to spoil it, but I think it ends with them chasing the dog on the plane on the with the helicopter. I think.
0: Okay. I yeah. don't
2: remember. <laughs>
0: maybe maybe I'll yeah. give it a like one of those uh hey, you know what there's nothing else to watch. Maybe I'll give this a shot now.
1: Yeah. It either ends that way or I think it should have ended that way. It, it's one of those two. <laughs> if it's a prequel, it cool. definitely should it end that remember. way. That would be
0: a cool way to end it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: Adam, what else do you got, buddy?
2: Um, uh, going in, uh, from, uh, practical, uh, special effects to, uh, fully artistry. Um, uh, they did some pretty cool, um, uh, sound effects on this movie. And, um, uh, one of the sound effects, like they soaked a, a towel and egg yolks and like ripped it and smacked it <laughs> for some of the, uh, uh, transformation effects. Um, my favorite though is, uh, uh, one of the effects that they, they did for the, the dogs is, um, uh, uh, the, um, Foley guy got all the dogs in his neighborhood together and put him in his house. And then he would walk around in a trench coat outside of his house and tap on the windows to get the dogs to bark. <laughs> I was like, huh, that's, uh, that's one way to capture that sound. That's pretty funny. Um, and uh, see here, in uh, 1982, before its release, uh, Fangoria Magazine had a contest. Uh, people were asked to draw the thing. Uh, even though they hadn't seen it. Um, and if anyone could guess what it was going to look like, uh, they actually won a trip to Universal Studios. Oh, oh, that's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. I wonder if somebody um, drew a dick. <laughs> you know, so somebody funny. out there
0: had to have done it. it was, <laughs> one person had to have done it. Yeah, here's the thing.
2: <laughs> we have so many pictures of dicks. <laughs>
0: It actually just could be the basis out.
1: for super bad. No, this is a picture of what the thing's going to be streaming on in forty years. <laughs> the, <laughs> cock. Yeah. the cock. The uh, cock. Just to add to the sounds, like again, this is kind of goes to how detailed the script is. the The sounds are so important, and I remember um, you can actually hear keys drop. There's a there's like a scene where like someone gets into the blood, but it was locked. And I think it's mm-hmm. windows who has the keys. I don't remember exactly who has the keys, but there's a bunch of commotion and you can hear keys fall and hit the ground. And that yeah. just, that's mind blowing. That's so much detail, you know, and again, just adds to why this movie is so great. And again, why I don't think they would bother putting a detail like that in nowadays. Oh no, that would totally
0: mm-hmm. be something they'd skip over
1: the details are, are
2: fantastic in this movie, and I think that it is uh, definitely an art that's lost to time in, in uh, storytelling and movies nowadays. It's just like, they don't, the, uh, movies back then thought two steps ahead, and movies nowadays are just so dumbed <laughs> yeah. out. You don't, you don't get that kind of uh, detail there. Well,
0: I, I think but, it's um, a, a lot to do with just audiences in general now. The attention span yeah, of I audiences mean, is so short that, like, Ah, uh, they're not going to pay attention to it, anyways.
2: Yeah, I feel like um, it, it's a cultural thing, right? It's just uh, uh, the you got TikTok and YouTube and all these other thing. audiences want their their cake and they want it now. They don't want to wait for their cake, you know.
0: So maybe that's how we'll know. change this podcast at the beginning of the year. We'll just be like uh, the Couch Potato Podcast. We'll just like bring up a movie, like it's good, and
1: that'll be the the whole episode. i don't know i always like i think a lot of that's true but part of me wonders how self-fulfilling it is like because i think i think people do want good art and just not even just movies but art in general is so dumbed down but is it dumbed down because that's what people really want or is it just what people making the art think people want
0: Mm, yeah and now it's all, yeah.
1: all that we have because I you know I think of the like Marvel movies and I really don't like those very much. Uh, I've always, I haven't seen a lot of the new ones think oh I Adam and, too, Adam and I are starting to come on board
0: to that uh, to that train as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. but, well you know you hear the people who watch those movies talk about how they wish they were more like the comics and they wish they had a lot more detail and stuff like that and they would prefer low budget movies that are just better. So I don't know. I think you're right, but I do think we're at a tipping point where people like the people were kind of thinking more like us where it's like, okay, that was fun, but let's get back to like really good movies. Like what we saw in the eighties and Mm nineties. Oh, agreed. I think it's a, uh, a a multi headed beast really, because
2: it's not just audiences. It's not just uh, the artists, uh, but um, the funding, Uh, you, you hit the nail on the head with like low budget stuff. Like I would prefer low budget. Um, over you know block this has to be a blockbuster movie like the last ant-man movie it was only okay like it i liked it as a movie but it would have been better if it were like the original ant-man uh because it kind of was um you know uh not marvel's uh ace in the hole you know it was just something off beat off the beaten path and um the people uh, that are funding these movies nowadays are like, no, we need it to be blockbuster. You need to have these actors in it. It needs to be this long. And instead of, um, taking a risk on a low budget movie, we don't, there are no more low budget movies. There's, it's just not a thing anymore. It like, uh, I forget. I think it was the, the star Wars, um, episode that we, uh, we did on this podcast. Um, you can listen to it on our, uh, our podcast wherever you listen podcast. Hey Adam coming um, in with a cheap plug. Awesome. <laughs> uh but Mark actually said that uh he did not watch Star Wars when it came out. He decided he wanted to go see I think it was Andre. <laughs> Pretty sure that was the movie he went to go see. Something like that. I don't know. It was a no Ben no. What was it? It was a it was a dumb animal movie. Andre is uh, much later. Hey, don't knock um, on Andre.
0: Andre has a special place in my heart because that was the movie <laughs> that allowed me to sneak in to watch Natural Born Killers.
2: <laughs> but oh. uh, we don't. We're not going to see movies like that anymore. They, they just don't exist.
0: Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, I, I think it's just. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, the studios they just want to get the biggest return on investment now, and I think a lot of that that low budget stuff is like gravitating towards like they're breaking it up and turning it into like more like mini series stuff for the streaming yeah. services versus like putting it out in theaters
2: and the the format is not conducive to a series either like if you decide to take a movie that should be a movie and break it up into a mini series it just it it ruins the the thing sometimes you know
1: yeah I saw the because of the strikes and stuff someone posted on Twitter this picture of like 50 movie titles and it says, look at all these movies that are going to get canceled now because of the writer strike and no shit. Every single one was a sequel or a remake and none of them were, whereas like an yeah. original movie. Mm. So I, I right there with you just bur- just burning out on that stuff. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just, I think that they, they would rather not, they would, they're not looking at it like, in terms of, like, they're gambling at, like, a like a craps table now or whatever. It's just like, okay, you know, fifth sequel to Marvel movie, the last four have been, like, $500 million or more. Let's just put out another one of those versus taking, like, 40 to $50 million and trying to invest in something original. And we may lose our shirt on it. We may not. But I would rather... It's like, oh, let's just take the safe bet and go with the Marvel movie that people have seen time and time again, or like the 17th Jurassic park or the 43rd fast and furious movie, which I'm kind of getting started yeah. getting burned out a little bit on those two, but
1: well, it's, it's definitely a cultural thing too. So it, it's kind of the same way with like books and comic books right now. Cause there's these independent things going on that are great. And it's the same with movies. There's some really great independent movies coming out. Nobody talks about them and nobody cares. Mm -hmm. And like even on channels that try to promote independent stuff, all they end up doing is bitching about Disney and you know what the mainstream's doing (laughs) without shining a light on the stuff that they're currently asking for. So again, but I think part of it's just self-fulfilling it's more about what can we profit from versus what's going to, you know, be better and push art forward.
2: Mm, Right.
1: Yeah. And, Um, and
2: it's, it's sad too, because some, you know, small movie that could have been low budget could have kick-started the next big ip that is a franchise but we will never know because we're stuck from the same franchises we have okay.
0: um adam got any other uh tidbits to add before we move on
2: we got one more um uh, kurt russell um decided to take long drags on cigarettes uh before some scenes to make the uh the his first breath uh look more smoky uh to make God. it look a little bit colder.
0: God damn I bet that looked cool as fuck too watching him fucking like just rip a heater.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um
0: but I I listened to an interview uh Bill Simmons uh podcaster. He's he has a couple programs on the ringer. And uh, he interviews Kurt Russell, and he was talking about his interview, and he said that Kurt Russell came in uh, smelling like he had rode a motorcycle to the interview. He didn't have like an entourage or anything. He set his helmet down. He reeked of like marble reds. And he's like, this is like the fucking coolest guy in the room. That's exactly how I pictured. Like that's how I picture him too. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why like I love the dude so much, but. Um, great stuff guys Uh, a lot of fun facts Uh, a lot of shit I didn't even know about when I was doing my research so Uh, appreciate the uh, all the interesting tidbits Um, the next category we got is the uh, Martin Scorsese this is cinema award for the best scene of the movie this is based off the internet meme the uh, Martin Scorsese where he says this is cinema so uh, best scene of the movie Uh, I have my personal favorite but I want to hear what you guys had first Uh, Adam I'll start with you well do you think was the best scene in this movie?
2: Um, uh, I know that a lot of people don't like the line from this scene, but um, I really like the scene with the uh, the heart attack and the defibrillator. <laughs> I really do. It's so cool. Uh, just all the effects in it and uh, uh, the way it ends and just the, the cheesiness of the line in, in the, uh, in the scene. Um, that's, that's probably going to be my favorite. I know it's it's not it's not like the the cerebral uh this is the best scene because of, of uh you know, this uh story region uh reason or whatever, but um yeah, that's my favorite. Cole. I was not expecting that when I when I watched it the first time. I'm oh, like, Oh, yeah. they're gonna save this guy.
0: That kinda got me startled. I've seen this movie. F- fuck at least 10 times. And that's that scene gets me every fucking time when that arm comes or like his arm just gets swallowed by his chest. Gets me yeah. every time.
1: Dude, every single time. Like that's, oh, it's just creeps me out. Like I know it's coming. It's like a Jack in the box. Like I know it's coming, but it's still going to scare the shit out of me. Mm. Um, I guess more with that scene they used, uh, that was a real person on the desk there. He was a, an amputee or a, a quadriplegic. Oh, okay. Um, it was a guy who didn't have any arms and legs, and they put a mask on him. So that's an actual person there for that scene. Oh, which is really cool! Wow. Um, I, I gotta go. That. I gotta go with and I, Russ. I think we've even talked about this before, so I think it is the same as yours. The the blood scene, like the blood testing scene, that's so iconic. Um, and I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can take out any scenes from this movie and it be the same. I think they're all important, but that blood test scene, man. Gives me chills every time I know exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. I'm still on the edge of my seat, Mm. just so, just, just so anxious about it.
0: Yeah, that's mine too. It just, it really, it really puts the forefront. The true villain of the movie is just the paranoia that's being caused by this alien Mm. on the site. And yeah, like I said, I think a compelling scene is like if you. Like, something, like, it's tense like that. It's, like, you kind of know what's going to happen, but yet you're still captivated by it. Yeah. And, like, uh, I always can tell, like, for me, whenever I'm, like, really wrapped up or engrossed in a scene is if I'm sitting in a chair and I sit forward to really study it. And, like, when I was watching this the other night, I just kind of sat up in my chair and nothing around me was happening except for what was going on in that scene. And it's still, like, okay. Yeah who's who's it going to be yeah and like it's still, to this day it's still like i was still shocked it, it turned out to be the like the last person i expected mm. yeah which i forget yeah, the character's it's, name but it's the david Clennon character
1: yeah and he doesn't even I, it's so crazy because the more you watch it he doesn't even look surprised and everyone else is so terrified and he's just sitting there like ah fuck like, oh, so cool. And so many other movies, like you said, have just taken this scene and morphed it, but no, none have ever done it as good. And like I said, you know, this, this was kind of the first horror movie to flip it to where every, there's not safety in numbers, and now you have scenes where people are accusing each other and stuff, and it's supposed to be the same, but there's just none that are, that are so enthralling like this one. Mm. I, I would go as far as to say one of the best scenes in movie history,
0: honestly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Adam, sorry. It's as cool really as that good.
0: arm hey, arm getting hey, bit yeah, off. It's going to be a blood you, test to you
2: guys. I, I'm, I'm going my own, my own way. Um, I'm, you know, forcing my opinion on, on people, but, um, I know that your scene is better overall. So, <laughs>
0: uh, honorary mention, uh, I really like the ending between McCready and Childs where they kinda they both don't trust one another and they basically are just like come to the conclusion like, well I guess we're just gonna have to wait and see what happens.
2: Yeah.
0: And they had you know, like Kurt Russell hands him the the bottle of uh what's that brand? J and B. Oh
2: yeah. Yeah, that's the brand.
1: Yeah. Is it is it though? What? I don't know. The, I don't know if you've seen the theory that it's actually gasoline or petrol or whatever. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's – I didn't know if we wanted to jump into talking about the ending like well, right away uh, or anything. But...
0: we'll save it because I've actually uh, got a category specifically for this. So we'll, we'll save okay, it. Right.
1: I, I got some thoughts, too. I got some thoughts and theories. All right. Yeah, that's that's like the most fun thing about this movie, right, is talking about the, the ending.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, it's the the blood test scene is uh, the winner for the uh, best scene. Uh, we need to change the the name of this category because uh, I think it's kind of morphed into like unintentionally hilarious dialogue. But we never really came up with like the best line of the movie. So uh, this could be the last time you guys and gals hear the uh, the Paul Walker. I said forget about a K award for uh, best line, good or bad, in the movie. Um, for me, I'm uh, nominating the, oh, you've got to be fucking kidding after uh, Norris' <laughs> head becomes like this spider-looking creature. Palmer says that. that. That's my pick. It's not the best, but it's the one I always kind of get a chuckle about a little bit.
2: It, every time he says it, I laugh. And I, I think I've seen a couple of uh, different reviews of people that say it takes them out of the uh, out of the world of the thing a
1: little bit just because they're laughing about how ridiculous it sounds during that moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, it's so human though. Like that's, I think that's what any of us would say. I know like me yeah. when something totally unexpected happens, that's making a bad day worse. That's always my first line. Like, Oh, you got to fucking be kidding. You know, yeah, <laughs> I'm the same that, way. That, would be, that would be, so I, I picked two, like you said, good and bad. So that was my hilarious one that I thought was really good, but like an actual well-written line. I love the ending dialogue when uh, McCree says, we'll just sit here and wait a while, just gives me chills every time. Sometimes I'll just watch that scene because of that dialogue. That's,
2: that's really good dialogue. I really like that. I went, I went for a little bit more on the, uh, on the funny side with mine. Although uh, mine is definitely uh, yours, Russ, with the, uh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. But uh, I, uh, I picked out the, um, forget the actual line. Um, hang on i wrote it down i know you gentlemen have been through a lot but when you find the time i'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this couch
0: oh yeah uh, uh donald moffat which yeah. uh i was introduced to him first as the president and clear and present danger before i noticed him in this i only know mm-hmm. him from this movie and clear and present danger and that's it and i'm sure he's probably had like you look him up on IMDb, he's probably got this distinguished 40, 50-plus year career. But I only know him as the President of the United States and then in The Thing. Yeah. And to to I, hear I, him in Clear and Present Danger and then throughout most of this movie, he's kind of calm. He's almost kind of a mm-hmm. toast character a little bit. Not quite like a coward, but he's just kind of like very reserved. And then like to hear him fucking yell, like, whoa, shit. <laughs> yeah, You go, Donald yeah. Moffat. And I'm just—I know he's—that's not his character's name, but I'm just going to call him Dumbel Moffat. All right, so we'll go who, with it. who wins? I—I I would probably say the best line of the movie is probably going to be something from that fina- the the final sequence. So Cole, we're going to give it. I think so. Yeah. To you.
2: We'll, we'll go. We'll go with the the non funny one. We'll we'll go with the serious one.
0: And uh, Adam, yeah, let's let's uh, come up with uh, something here this week to where we could just change this to like the best line of the movie as much as i love the paul walker i said forget about a cut award we'll, let's just save that for like a bad like a good bad line which Cole have forget you seen know what we're talking about
1: i don't know
0: it's uh it's a line it's a scene from too fast too furious paul walker and tyrese gibson are walking out of a police station and tyrese is badgering paul walker trying to get information from him and then paul walker just like serious like he's performing in the fucking godfather too because i said forget about a cu and it just <laughs> it just goes to black and yeah. it goes on to the next
1: scene i've never had the privilege of seeing that movie
0: well you, honey you're missing out <laughs> all right um uh, the mclovin award for the best Or scene-stealing performance. Uh, Do you gentlemen... uh, Cole, I'll uh, let you lead off with your nominee.
1: Yeah, if we're talking just, like, not Kurt Russell, right? Like, not the lead? Well, normally this category
0: is for, like, someone in a supporting role. Although, Adam and I discussed uh, earlier that it's a little more difficult for this movie because most of the characters have about the same amount of screen time. At least, like, Wilford Brimley, Russell, Keith David, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some yeah. of the main characters, like someone like Richard uh, M- Maser and Dicer kind of toned back a little bit. But uh, yeah. for this category, yeah, it's anybody but Kurt Russell since he's the lead.
1: Well, I think you have to hand it to Keith David because I I think, it, one, it's crazy that he held his own by going toe-to-toe with Kurt Russell, so to speak. Um, and I I love Keith David and I've, you know, ever since this too, I've been just as interested in him as I have Kurt Russell. He's just not in as much stuff that, that I'm into, but I remember watching uh pitch black when it came out and I'm going, I know that guy from somewhere. Who is that guy? And I watched the credits and it said Keith David and I was like, Oh my God. And then I went back and watched the thing again. Um, yeah, he's, he's fantastic. He's, he's every bit as good in this movie as 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 Kurt Russell is um, as his uh, you know as his character so I would definitely hand it to Keith David I think this is his first
0: uh movie role as a matter of fact I think he came off of uh is he really?
1: was a stage actor prior to this if I'm not mistaken I I, I right. know he does I know he does stage acting um but I didn't know that I didn't know this was his first movie that's great that's crazy mm-hmm.
0: um Adam who is yeah. your nominee
2: well, um, I want to give a uh, honorable mention to Wilford Brimley cause he's excellent in everything. And, uh, I well, really like the actor, not everything. <laughs> no, no, no. Even if the movie sucked or if his performance was hammed up, he's still good. I, I will give him that he, he does. The man does no wrong with me. So.
0: Well, as we discussed but, in a couple weeks ago on our hard target episode, uh, he's
2: really going for it <laughs> where he just says gibberish at one point and we're just like yep that's uh that's whatever he's saying mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh yeah uh, I'm gonna have to give it to Keith David as well um it's it's just such a good character and uh uh interesting side note um he plays the arbiter in the Halo series uh video game series uh which has a alien life form named the flood that assimilates uh biomass and uh, steals their knowledge which you know kind of sounds like a movie we all know he was in mm-hmm.
0: so i'm giving it to keith david yeah, as gonna... well simply because it's keith david that's it
1: yeah he man he's so awesome he i actually didn't even realize he was the arbiter but as soon as you said that it like clicked uh, but he played he's in mass effect also uh, the yeah. first Mass Effect, which is one of my favorite games. Again, another reason I got really into it is because like, oh, I'm, anything with Keith David, man, I'm I'm in. Yeah.
0: All right, unanimous. Keith David. Uh, Keith David wins that category. Um, I I'm going to skip over the Welcome to Dumpstill population you award for the performer you'd recast because let's be real, there's nobody in this that needs to be recast. They did a really good job, so we don't yeah. even need to go into it.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think, like, just to add to it, like, you could, like, if we wanted to be dicks, we could talk about, like, the background actors, you know, or, like, a different breed of dog would have been cool, but uh, <laughs> other, you know, I don't think anyone, anyone, like, everyone in this movie gave, like, an A-plus performance, so I, I couldn't think of anybody. Could you imagine, like, a pug?
2: <laughs> just running or through the
1: snow?
0: Or a wiener dog? <laughs> 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 all right the unsolved mysteries of the movie um since you guys want wanting to discuss the ending um the unsolved mystery of the movie is uh macready or child's the thing that's kind of the the biggest mystery i think the, we need to figure out about this uh i'll let you guys uh cook in the kitchen a little bit what do you think uh adam we'll start with you
2: Uh, so I've heard some, uh, several different theories like, um, oh, we know that, um, it's not Kurt Russell because you can see his breath at the end, but you can see both their breath, you know? Um, I, uh, I really don't have anything, uh, other than that. Like I, I, I want to say that Kurt Russell isn't the thing, but I also have not heard that it's gasoline either. So.
1: I am kind of curious to hear Cole's on this. Well, I'll start by saying that that the that it's ambiguous and there's no definite answer and anyone who says there's a definite answer, I think they're wrong and I think it's why this movie has has been around for so long and is still considered great and will still be considered great when it's 100 years old. But that being said, yeah, the theory is that that Macready because they make, a lot, they make a reference in the movie that they're out of alcohol at some point. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make sense that he would have it on him. But he, had, uh, he made uh, Molotov cocktails, though. So some people, you know, it's fun to think about. He actually filled it with gasoline. And they also talk in the movie about how they shouldn't share food. They should all make their own food and not share it. So the fact that he hands it to Childs and he just drinks it no problem. Right after that, Kurt Russell smirks and laughs a little bit. So that's kind of a popular popular theory. And then, okay. to add on to that, there's a scene where Childs is like on lookout. Out, he's like looking out the window, and it cuts away and it cuts back, and he's gone. But the doors open. The coats are actually all in different spots, uh, like they were all knocked off and then put back up. And one's missing. And some people say Childs has a different color coat on when you see him at the end. I don't. I mean, it's like really dark and snowy, so it's kind of hard to tell. My personal opinion, I think the biggest thing that leans into Childs being the thing at the end is uh, the chess match that Kurt Russell has uh, Mm -hmm. on that computer because it does, it like cheats. The computer cheats and beats him. And I think the script was written so tight, I think that's kind of alluding to the end that no matter what Kurt Russell does, he's going to lose. And that's kind of how I feel about it. I think either like in my mind, even if child's not the thing, they're both still going to die mm-hmm. at some point because that's just how it's going to work. So just my opinion is that chess game. And he, you know, he like, what does he do? He like pours his coffee or whatever in it and breaks the computer. Yeah. And I think he, that's he pours, just the he pours the whiskey.
0: Pours so, the whiskey. into. Yeah.
1: It. Yeah. Pours his drink into it. Well, he also burns down the whole fucking place, you know? So I, I think that kind of parallels that.
0: Um, yeah. I've read theories about uh, the way that the uh, the lighting hits the actor's eyes. That if uh, it seems to be like if there's like light kind of illuminating around their eyes, that's supposed to indicate they're human. And then when it doesn't do that, it indicates that they're they could have been assimilated by the thing. Uh, I've read about that, but then that's also been dispelled because uh, there's been a couple instances. The David Clinton character. As light shining around his eyes. Of course, we all find out that he's totally been taken over. So mm-hmm. I was going to kind of leave it up to you guys. Uh, you know, like I, when I watch it, I, I, I kind of think at times that child's is, and then there's been a couple times where I, I think going back to what you, <clears throat> you were saying about, uh, McCready is going to lose. and uh, that's, that's mm-hmm. kind of like what i I've, I've thought too, but like, I kind of think that he is the thing because like it's, as noble of a fight he's put up like eventually like it just it gets him cuz and then um there was a thing video game that came out what was that 2002
2: I don't think I've ever played it
0: yeah and then uh, they kind of give you uh like they they show that child's has, has died and he was human
2: no oh, okay and they
0: don't mention anything about McCready at all Okay. So I don't know. It's, it's fun to like kind of play around with it. And like, it seems like every time I watch it, I kind of get a different perspective on it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I always thought it was child's. I kind of did like when I watched it the other night, it's kind of what I thought too, because he just, I think it's just kind of the way he's looking at Kurt Russell's character. Like he kind of, it's like, he's almost waiting for his opportunity Cause he kind of is like mm-hmm. looking at him with like almost like a scowl, like he's waiting, like a, like a predator waiting to pounce. Whereas Kurt Russell is kind of playing it more cool, like, uh, okay, you know, like I know what you are, and I, I'm, I'm ready, and like I've got like this plan to get you. So it's I don't know, it just that's kind of the way I felt on Thursday night. But I could watch it again tomorrow night, think something completely different.
1: Yeah, I think, again, just not to keep saying it, but I think it just lends to how great the script is written. I think it's written that way on purpose. I think it's supposed, I think there's these little hints on purpose, but it doesn't come out right and say, and I think there's things that are uh, contrary on purpose, Mm. too, just Uh to keep you guessing and to keep you unsure, and it's just all part of the theme and the feeling of the movie. So it's, I think if, if, like, if it ended with Childs being the thing and, like, killing McCready and then that's the end, the movie wouldn't be anywhere near as good. I think just that that very last shot, the very last scene is what makes the whole ride worth it kind
0: of. Yeah. It's basically been the theme of the whole movie anyways is like the audience is trying to figure out who it is too, as long as well as the crew and they never, no one ever really figures out who it is. So they kind of like mm-hmm. make the audience kind of leave the movie feeling the same way. It, it kind of works better that way.
1: Yeah, you're just uneasy. There's no closure. Yeah, at all. and that's yeah. that's kind of a big difference between movies now, right? And movies now don't leave you feeling unfulfilled like on purpose. Mm. I don't yeah. know if that makes any sense, but yeah, there's just no closure. Like we're ne- we don't know. We're never going to know. It's just how it is. Now we were talking about Marvel movies before but that's one of the big reasons why
2: I like Infinity War better than Endgame or um other Marvel movies is because um of the ambiguous ending of uh how, like what's going to happen now or you know that sort of ending is just so great you don't get that in a lot of movies and I, I feel like it it just it enhances the story that much to where you can draw your own conclusions
0: yeah, well, I tell you what, gang, watch the movie, let us know your thoughts, and uh, comment, let us know what you think, we'd we'll, uh, we'll love to hear uh, your take on it as well, but yeah, I mean, it's, the ambiguous ending is kind of what makes the movie uh, a masterpiece in
1: my eyes. Yep. All I right. would agree, no, so I... If, anyone, if anyone feels differently, they should tag you on Twitter, and, uh, and argue with us about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll a big whooping will- fight, one fight one about
1: three.
2: it?
0: I'll- yeah. <laughs> I'm fixing for a Twitter um, fight.
2: I do have a uh, throwaway uh, movie mystery. Um, it's not as important as the ending or the ambiguity. Uh, but Is it, when, Does Wilford um, Brimley
0: have diabetes during this? Or why does Wilford Brimley look 60 when he's 32?
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's true. Man, I, I really wish that they had a scene with him eating oatmeal in it.
0: I forgot all about that. He was the Quaker Oats guy, too. I texted you earlier and I said he was yeah. most known for Cocoon and the diabetes commercials. <laughs> Completely forgot he was the fucking Quaker Oats spokesman. Forgot all
2: about it. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, but uh, uh, the computer, um, when it shows the um, uh, kind of simulation of the cell taking over the other cells, and then they make, put in the calculations for, you know, how long is it going to take for this thing to, uh, take over the entire planet? I think it's some random number, like 27,000 hours or something like that. It's like, that's a really specific computer program. What are they running? (laughs) (laughs) Like, how, how did they do that? How did they make the computer, especially in the the time period that it's set in, how did they make that program and why is it so accurate? (laughs)
0: Well, that's uh it doesn't make any sense to me i adam i have no answer for you on that one it's a good segue into uh the next category though okay let's go for it uh the award for the most nineteen eighty two moment of this movie obviously the computers
2: <laughs> computer
0: well i had the chess wizard game- at, uh McCrudy's playing in it too it would be between that and then uh when oh shit uh child's and uh the David, I always forget the David Clinton character name, but when they're watching the the old top loading VHS tape and they're watching game shows,
2: yeah, man,
0: that'd be the most nineteen eighty two moment for me. But I would say the computers, because I mean yeah. that that shit looks like very. Because I was in elementary school in eighty five, and that's the kind of shit I had to I had to work with in nineteen eighty
2: five. Good old command line stuff. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, Cole, do you have a a nominee for the most 1982 moment of this movie?
1: I just put down Kurt Russell's hair and beard. Now that
0: that beard and that hairstyle will work in any time period. If I could, I I would totally fucking rock that look tomorrow, but I can't.
1: (laughs) I, (laughs) I don't, I don't disagree, but when I, like if I'm out in the wild and I see someone with that haircut, I instantly think of this movie in this time period. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, you definitely I I would agree with the computers for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I love how slow it uh, moved when it's like the cell was like it was just like did it just made that <laughs> that that beep as it moved closer. Yeah, the computer programming is definitely very 1982 ish.
1: Someone should edit that scene and have them just watching like the DVD logo bouncing around, waiting for it to hit the corner. <laughs>
0: Well why didn't they do that uh, the the, thi- the thing uh, remake? They might save that for the thing too thi- thinging.
1: Yeah. yeah
2: thinging.
0: Be thinging and fingered. Fingered. Oh.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: All right. Um uh, I'm still trying to find a corporate sponsor for this category. Um uh, I think Adam a few weeks ago we used uh, the Waffle House. mm
2: mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: Yeah. Uh I've used Bob Evans. Have not heard from me the one yet. So uh, the next uh, contender is uh, this is uh, the hot off the skillet take presented by Applebee's for uh, your hot take regarding Mm -hmm. this movie. So, uh, Cole, uh, you got a hot take regarding this movie?
1: Uh, I think I said it earlier, um, best movie of the 1980s. That is an extremely hot take. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's Um, sizzling.
0: Someone's eating good in the neighborhood tonight.
1: Yeah, I think probably just to be more just to be simpler, better than uh, better than Blade Runner, is probably an easier way to say that because I think Blade Runner, a lot of people that are in the sci-fi and horror consider that the best movie of the '80s, maybe. Um, in these, maybe I don't know.
0: The uh, Blade Runner is definitely not my camp. I'm uh, more of a Back to the Future guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see. I'm not a big fan of Back to the Future, so yeah. I would All say, right, Cole, you know... it's been nice having you on the show. Uh, that's gonna wrap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to be fair I, I've only seen them all once oh we gotta change that I don't but, know if uh, that, I don't, that really matters. but yeah I best movie of the 1980s which honestly it's kind of tough because I love Akira that came out in 1988 and that's always been the movie I consider the best one good movie but, but really thinking like honestly between the two I'd pick the thing every time
0: okay that that's a very that's a hot take and uh that's a very uh, Applebee's-worthy hot take. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think that's, a, that's a, one of their three-course specials. <laughs> Applebee's, if you're listening, I'm really plugging Are you. you. I'm, ready try, a, I'm trying.
2: You you ready for a two for 20? Because i got a hot take as well. All right, go ahead. <laughs> All right, so uh, I think that this movie, uh, being a John Carpenter movie, is better than Halloween. Really? Okay. So that is my hot take, yeah.
0: Well, you guys are, like, I think trying it's... to piss me off at a 10.57 at night. <laughs> but, no, go ahead. Uh, why Why? Uh, why do you think this is better than Halloween?
2: So, uh, I've seen Halloween more recently than the thing, and just watching it this last time, um, and, and I, I mentioned it earlier, Halloween is very um, simplistic in its story. Uh, it's, you know, guy goes crazy, goes to the neighborhood, kills people. Like, that's a pretty simple storyline this hey, one is just more
0: a, uh, movie executive that's uh, yeah, yeah one i mean and it, pitch.
2: it'll 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 sell movie tickets for sure but um i think this one just is more meaty got it's got a, a got it's got a lot more um nuance in um the characters it's uh it's got more um tension uh like cole said earlier like usually you have that a uh, time period where everyone's together and the tension kind of like dissipates and you don't get that in this movie. And I think that um, just the uh, detail in the movie, the, uh, and Cole hit the nail on the head on all these points too, is like, you can't take anything out of this movie because every single scene matters. And it, it's that, that I think makes it better than Halloween.
0: Okay. All right. Um, well, I thought mine was pretty good, but then you guys kind of just basically trumped me. But uh, I was looking <laughs> over uh, the films of 1982. It's a pretty good list. Um, E.T., Blade Runner, mm-hmm. uh, Rambo First Blood, uh, 48 Hours of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, uh, Gandhi, which won Best Picture uh, this year at the Academy Awards, uh, Poltergeist, Officer and a Gentleman, Rocky III, uh, Conan the Barbarian, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Tron, uh, Tootsie, and The Verdict. Pretty iconic uh, class of 1982. Uh, my hot take was I think The uh, the Thing is uh, the best movie of that class, uh, the best film of 1982, which I thought was a pretty good take coming in, but, of course, Cole shit all over that take with the best movie of the 80s. <laughs> So, top all done, <laughs> sir.
1: Well, it's funny because I disagree with you. I don't think it's the best movie from 1982.
0: Well, how is it the best movie of the 80s if it's not the best movie 1982?
1: Uh, I, just, I, I was just being a, I was just making a joke. <laughs> sorry.
0: Cole, you're throwing me off my game. Once you said you don't like Back to the Future, you fucking just... My night's gone to shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right, but uh, all hot, ta- good hot takes, gentlemen. And like I said, Applebee's, if you're listening... We're looking for sponsorship on the show. I would love to put uh, the hot off the skillet take presented by Applebee's. Play a commercial. I, I don't care. I'm at your whim. Get a hold of me. <laughs> you
1: got to get a little, like, sizzle sound.
0: Well, if Applebee's wants to pay me money to plug yeah. this on here, I'll totally do it. I will do whatever they want.
1: Um, so if like, someone says a take that's not a hot take, does it get sent back? No, we'll just delete it out. Oh, okay.
0: Yep. <laughs> Send it back to the kitchen, it's, if you will.
1: Yeah.
0: It's not hot enough. It's,
2: it's not hot. We need to warm to that up a bit.
0: Put this back on the skillet for a minute. <laughs> All right, last category, gentlemen, um, the Hall of Fame, which, uh, Cole, uh, we come up with a, a number of different questions if we were to create the Couch Potato Podcast Hall of Fame. And uh, we're still looking for sponsorship on this. Uh, I do have uh, Apple Pay. I have PayPal. I have Venmo want to help make the couch potato podcast a reality you can send me money i will gladly provide you uh links to that as well so we can get that uh, ball rolling um and i'm just begging for money at this point but uh, we come up with like little categories it could be uh fun categories uh we try to determine whether uh this particular question would go in the hall of fame so um would the team of John Carpenter, Kurt Russell, go into the Hall of Fame for director-actor teams?
2: Yes, for sure. Yeah.
0: Okay, um, I I would say for me, anyways, it would uh, first would would be uh, Scorsese and De Niro, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, De Niro or uh, Scorsese and DiCaprio is against him. Yeah, I think Kurt Russell. If you're putting in five. I could see I could see that being a definite uh, first ballot hall of famer for that that duo.
2: For sure. And um, the movies that he's in with Carpenter are mostly good too.
0: Yeah. With the exception yeah, of Escape heard. from LA. Hey, you cut me Cole earlier it hurts. I'm cutting you back. All right? no. all right. Revenge. Um, this plot, and this is from uh, producer, Adam, uh, this plot point used in popular culture, which, uh, whether they've used it in, uh, movies, television shows, video games, comic books, whatever. Uh, I would say, yeah, I, I think it's a pretty safe bet. Uh, like I said earlier, this yeah. exact plot was used in the hateful eight. I do remember something similar in an X files episode, The uh, episode escapes yep. me off the top of my head, but, uh, you've also mentioned it was in video games as well.
2: Yeah. So, uh, the entirety of the among us video game is based off of this movie and yeah. alien. So, I mean, it's pretty much a carbon copy of the plot. Um, I mentioned earlier that, uh, Halo had, uh, the flood as an enemy. Uh, it's basically the thing, uh, interstellar, uh, assimilator, uh, trying to get all the knowledge of the universe. um, the X Files episode, I believe it's in the first season too, where it's a worm uh, and they go to Antarctica and they're all trapped together. It's it's literally a, a just ripped from the thing, and uh, it's pretty pervasive. I, I think it's just because it, it's um, such a, a easy thing to to write about is people's paranoia. Mm-hmm.
1: So. Okay, well, I, I, would go, I would go so far to say it's not even like people basing it off the scene I think it's become a full trope now like it's just a style it's not even like there's people there's probably directors who do scenes like this and they've never seen the thing before they were just taught this style of storytelling and that's yeah I that's again talking about how iconic (laughs) the movie is I think it's kind of transcended just being like that scene or that feel of the movie is just a trope now a bunch of people trapped in a place and you can't they don't know who's real and they don't trust each other that's yeah, yeah it's, it's far beyond just just what what it originally was uh, so definitely hall of famer
0: yeah um wilford brimley
2: yes i mean let's be real i'm i'm a sucker for wilford brimley so we're gonna i'm gonna say yes for that
0: <laughs> i'm gonna say no simply because okay. if you were to go through uh things that he's most known for uh being spokesperson for uh, Diabetes. is has got to be at the top. Uh, I completely forgot about him being the Quaker Oats spokesman, but now uh, Mm -hmm. now, uh, I definitely remember that. Uh, He was in Cocoon,
1: which uh, has gained
0: steam uh, recently as uh, they try to use it as a comparison point between uh, him being, I think, age 45 when that movie was made and then Paul Rudd being 45. Mm -hmm. It's like, how does... Wilford Brimley, look, how is he forty five when he looks like he's seventy five? And Paul Rudd is forty five; he looks twenty five. <laughs> and then, um, see, for me, I will always remember him as the the cleaner from the the movie The Firm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because he kind of talks; he tries to like he tries to talk in a risque manner to uh, Tom Cruise's character about some photographs they took of Tom Cruise cheating on his wife. But he kind of, like, he makes him very PG-13 sounding, and it just cracks me up. So I yeah. always remember him from that, too. And, it, like, he also tries to uh, chase after uh, Tom Cruise on foot, which is a fucking bad idea. I mean, you all know Wolfram Tom Grimley Cruise is he... the world's fastest actor.
2: And he's also, like, petrally 75, so he shouldn't be running. Right. Wolfram, not and he's, and
0: he's got diabetes. Um, I did have 80s movies written down but I think we've pretty much established that that it's definitely a hall of famer so I'm going to call a mulligan on uh, that one Uh, Kurt Russell is a badass I'm going to say yes I think uh, it's basically all of him uh, his hall of fame would be uh, Escape from New York because Snake Plissken is like an all time top five movie character for me um the thing, big trouble, little China, although he's kind of more of like kind of a, a, a dopey hero that just kind of saves the, helps save the day by circumstance more than just being a badass. And then wider and Tombstone.
1: He's yeah. still, he's still a
2: badass in big trouble. It just, yeah, based on the reflexes.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's kind of a yeah, with, think... though, but that's, uh, I love Jack Burton though. If we're talking about like like on the scale of how badass is Kurt Russell, I think the thing is kind of high middle of the road. Like if I don't know, I think Tombstone is probably my favorite like Kurt Russell being an all-time badass. So if that's a 10, I'd say the thing's maybe a 7 mm-hmm. on the Kurt Russell being a badass scale.
2: Yeah, it's not super high on the scale, but it, I think it still uh cracks the the top. Five, probably. Okay. Yeah. Um, Last
0: one is uh sombreros in movies.
2: <laughs> no, I don't think so. Not for this
1: one. I mean, it's it's good. Don't get me wrong, but no, <laughs> no, not my not my favorite use of sombreros. i try trying to think of something funnier to say, but no, I wouldn't. Well, I'm <laughs> I wouldn't just trying to think of a better or, use you, of a sombrero uh, in
0: a movie outside of like Speedy Gonzalez.
2: Three Three Amigos is funny. I like I like them. They they have sombreros.
0: Okay, there's the Three Amigos and there's Speedy Gonzalez. There is a stock uh, 1950s through 1960s Western villain or heavy.
2: Yeah, I Uh, mean uh, the Zorro movies, the the ones from the 90s. They they had sombreros. I don't think they had them like. as a joke or anything, they just had sombreros because that's what they wore.
0: And then what was <laughs> that a Disney movie where they, the three collaboreros or something like that? Did they wear sombreros? Oh, yeah, back? yeah.
2: Three caballeros, yes.
0: Okay. All right. So it does not crack the Hall of Fame for that. All right. No. Uh Gentlemen, it's been uh, an absolute joy to spend uh, the last hour and a half with you talking about the thing. Uh, I'm glad, Cole, that we were able to get you back on the show and you were able to... You're able to do this one I know uh this is probably when uh, I discussed doing this podcast this is one that like uh, I think uh, I told you like when uh we'll do the thing to get you on the show and of course we delayed that by two and a half years but
2: yeah
1: well I remember the the first crossover we did with the crow you guys came over here and we played the crow board game I actually bought the thing board game before I even had the crow board game waiting to play it with you guys for this episode, but you know, so I now we need to play the thing board game. Well, I think uh, we, we could can get Lucas to watch the thing
0: it. movie. I think we, uh, he, he, uh, wanted to do, do the crow instead. So I think that's why the crow was the pick for that one. Oh, I sorry, love the crow, crow but was, I, crow awesome. uh, I love the crow, but I, I prefer this movie.
1: Yeah. There, I guess that's something worth asking if they, cause like the 2011 wasn't technically a remake, uh, how would you guys feel about a remake of this movie? Um, of
0: I actually, when uh, we were talking about that, um, I don't think it should be remade, but I guarantee you at some point that it will. Um, I would actually, I even uh, have my, uh, as we were doing this, I had my choice of who I think could do McCready, and I would nominate Matthew McConaughey.
2: Okay, man. That's a good choice. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that um, I would like a remake, um, and you know sequels and prequels are are done all the time. I think I would prefer maybe a, a, like a retro film, one that's done like this this one, but uh, it it takes place at the same time. I think that would be cool, like somewhere else in the world, not Antarctica.
0: Well, I've always. I've always been of the belief that I'm okay with a remake if it is uh, a movie that could be improved. This movie doesn't yeah. need to be improved, so why remake it? Yeah, I mean, I the effects be are cool. still good.
1: I like what, well, I don't like the movie, Prey, but what they're doing with Predator now, where they're just going to put Predator in different points in time. I think the next one is like in World War II. That that, I would like to see something like that, kind of what you're saying, Adam, where it's just a different place or a different time with this same mm-hmm. kind of creature I think that'd be pretty cool I think like the thing in feudal Japan <laughs> it would just oh, be, really, be really sick that would be cool mm-hmm. yeah I think because I mean even feudal Japan
2: they had um, different uh, like not firearms per se but they they had uh, explosives They could they could kill the thing if they wanted mm-hmm. to so
0: alright well, good stuff, gentlemen. I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, and thank you for listening uh, to this uh, this week's episode. Uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, threads. And I keep saying this, uh, we do have a TikTok account that I need to get better at posting at. Uh, the show links for those accounts are in the description. If you dig what we're doing here at the show, please be so kind as to leave us a five-star review. That way, when you search... Uh, Cole King from the Knights of Degradation podcast said, the thing is the greatest movie from the 1980s. Our show would be one of the first ones that pops up in the search results. So be sure to give us a five-star review. It does help support the show. So until next week, we will talk to you guys later.